Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected. Subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. Brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK, and BikeRadar.com. Hello there and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. This is one of our... Friday tech Q&A sessions that we uh, are hosting on our podcast uh, and we're getting questions from you listeners via our social media channels uh, at Bike Radar. Uh, so with me today we've got Warren Roster who's our senior road technical editor. Hi. Uh, and also Robin Weaver who is our technical editor-in-chief. Hello. Uh, so we have been collecting plenty of questions uh, and we're going to jump straight in. They cross uh, road and mountain bike and also I think there's a few commuting questions in there as well. So hopefully something for everyone. Uh, but we'll start uh, with this first one. So uh, Warren, what sort of pressures should I run in 32mm tyres or 32C tyres? Uh, they feel really uncomfortable at 90 psi. I'm guessing it's a newish bike if it's got 32C tyres on a road bike and I'm guessing if they're previously running like a 23 or a 25 uh, at 90 that was kind of normal but um what should they be doing now yeah true um tire pressure though it's a it can be quite a controversial subject the kind of old school roadie thinking was um you look at the recommended tire pressure range on the side of your tires and then you just pumped it up to the max mm-hmm. um you know i'm not sure where that higher pressure idea came from and all subsequent research into tire pressures has shown there's no advantage to super hard tire in terms of rolling resistance um unless you were riding on a glass smooth surface and i've never found one of those um what you do need to find is a happy medium that it's soft enough for comfort but not going so soft that you risk pinch punches all the time um and it sort of goes back like right back in the 1980s there was a, an engineer called frank berto who was actually commissioned by an american magazine and um, bicycling magazine mm-hmm. and he came up with a formula based on the weight of each tire so you add your weight the bike's weight and roughly split it like 45 front 55 rear because that's the weight distribution and what you're actually looking for and his take home from it was that you're looking for like a 15 percent compression of the tires high okay um when you're on the bike but even then that was a bit controversial lots of people came out and said because it was kind of aimed at that kind of recreational touring rider it took in no account of the cornering forces at high speed when descending, you know, uh, uh, and sort of traction and things. But I would still say now, looking at a kind of 15% compression of the tyres high, mm-hmm. it's not a bad place to start. Um, there's been loads and loads of stuff come out about it recently. I think because everybody's talking about wider rims and wider tyres on the road or, you know, now that gravel's coming as an influence. Um, and it's like the guys over at Silka, the, you know, the, yeah. the tall brand um, they've done loads and loads of stuff into this if you go on their their website there's loads of loads of blogs on there about tire pressure rolling resistance aerodynamics of tires and the, and setup pressures it's such a massive subject um, and probably too extensive to go into here to be honest but it's really worth reading that stuff on there if you you know if you're so so inclined to get into that kind of techie thing so unfortunately i couldn't say there's a hard and fast rule for tire pressure because it just depends on your rider weight your weight distribution so like how you sit on the bike 
you know, the weight distribution, say, on a flat-out race bike or a time trial bike is so different to being on a more upright mm-hmm. kind of endurance bike or, or Tora. Um, and then you've got to look at tyre width, you know, um, road surface, um, even how the tyre is made and the and the rim width you put in that tyre on. You know, a 32C tyre is going to act really differently on a 19mm internal rim as it would on the 23. You know, uh, it's going to be really different. But I guess, you know, my own example, I, I'm running... You know, a bike at the minute, one of my long-term bikes, uh, you know, it's a lovely sort of titanium all-rounder all mm-hmm. thing. I'm 6'2", 90 kilos, and on that I'm running 32C tubeless tyres on a 21mm internal rim. Um, and that bike weighs around 9 kilos with full bottles and everything. Yeah. And I'm running around 75 to 80 PSI. But I'd say for a smaller rider, say like you, Tom, mm-hmm. um, I'd expect you to much, run much lower pressures than that because you won't be deflecting that tyre as much. You know, perhaps down as far as seventy. You know, yeah, you, you'd get away with and still have a, a nice feeling tire on the road. So I think I've got. Um, I'm running a giant Defy at the moment with. Um, I, I don't know the internal width of the rims on it, but the tubeless 32 c tires, and I think I'm running sort of in that 68, 72 psi, and it's so comfortable and it rolls real quick yeah. as well. Um, so yeah. yeah, so but I, yeah, but you know, the, the, you know. What I would say, you know, just to sum up on that, if you're running a 32C tyre and you're finding it uncomfortable, rest assured, you're just running them too hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> experiment, see where you get to. Yes. Yeah. Okie dokie. Wicked. Right. Um, Rob, uh, someone wants to know, is it worth upgrading a 170mm uh, RockTrox Lyric uh, with the 2020 air shaft to the 2021 air shaft? And what would the real-world benefits be? So they, they did update the air shafts between um, 2020 and 2021. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so um, RockShox introduced uh, the new Debonair spring. So it's just uh, it's an update, essentially. And the idea behind it is to get the fork to ride a little bit higher in its travel. Mm-hmm. So I think um, from our own experience and obviously the, the feedback that the guys at RockShox had had is with the old air spring, the fork would almost sag slightly under its own weight and sort of suck down a little bit. So I think um, some people felt maybe even a little bit shortchanged with regards to not getting the full amount of travel that they've got. Right. It, it obviously it meant that it was super supple at the start of the stroke. Uh, you know, from the from full extension down, it would be nice and smooth and and absorb loads of little bits of chatter and small bumps and stuff like that. But um, the idea here is that it'll still be that um, super soft and initial touch, but it will remain higher in its travel initially. So that means when you go into steep sections of trail, you're, you're not going to be pitched over the front. Your fork should be sitting a little bit higher and it'll still be just as smooth. Well, mm-hmm. that's the theory, just as smooth, but put you in a better position on the bike. Okay. Uh, so I, I have ridden it. I've ridden the new air spring, um, and it does make a difference. It does sit that bit higher. Uh, it also comes with other benefits, uh, and they're not necessarily, um, you know, sort of uh, the the biggest advantages. But if, for example, you've deflated your fork to work on it or um, change the bottomless tokens in the air spring. Um, Whereas before, what you'd need to do uh, with the previous version was partially inflate the fork, then compress the fork about, I don't know, to roughly sort of sag point, yeah. where where the air piston would sit inside the dimple. Um, 
which is essentially a bypass valve which would equalize the positive and negative chambers okay whereas now because of the way in which the new air spring works the um the air piston sits in that bypass dimple um, at full extension mm-hmm. which means it does it automatically so even if you're inflating from zero psi while you inflate it will just equalize as you go which so for some people it will mean that setups that bit easier because i know in the past been out with riders that um that may be a little bit less experienced and they'll be adding air to their fork from mm-hmm. zero uh they'll they'll think that they've got you know roughly where they want it or they've at least put in exactly the same amount of air as they had previously but when they've then cycled the fork through the travel and it's equalized once it hits that sort of um that dimple that sag point uh there's then less air in the positive chamber so the fork is in fact feels that bit softer yeah and then they can't work out what they've done so there's none of that guesswork anymore so the other good thing with this with this new um air spring is that it's backwards compatible so just as this guy's asking can he you know is it worth doing i i reckon the answer is yes because especially for the 2020 fork all you need to do is buy the new seal head and footnut which costs about 25 quid maybe just over uh, okay um, yeah. so it's not it's not like it's a huge investment and if he's confident with his tools it, it shouldn't be a, a big job to do either that said even if you don't have a 2024 but you're looking to upgrade this is still backwards compatible and it will go. So I think uh, you just need to buy the airspring assembly rather than just the footnut and the seal head. So it will cost a little bit more. I think it's in the range of 40 quid. So okay. So 40, 42 pounds, something like that. Not too bad. No. And you do need, so that it's, it's a different assembly for a Lyric versus a Pike. So you just need to make sure you're buying the right one. And I think it will go all the way back to to a 2014 Pike. Wow. So all the way back to that, or it's a 2016 Lyric and onwards. Okay. So quite a lot of um, people out there should be able to upgrade their forks and and get that improved feel and setup then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ultimately, it just means it does ride that little bit higher. So I, I guess it should, in theory as well, take some of the guesswork out of the setup as well you're not going to be clamoring to try and get that ride height altered by overpressurizing the spring or trying to add too much damping in order to compensate mm-hmm. so yeah and when you factor in the cost i think it is worth it yeah wicked okay then um we'll jump back to to warren then with um again a bit a bit more about comfort so the previous tubers question well obviously um the bike was too uncomfortable. Um, so someone's asking, is there a quick fix to make uh, his or her giant propel uh, from 2018 a little bit more comfortable? Uh, so the propel is what is, it's like an aero bike, isn't it? So, and they traditionally weren't the most compliant bikes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's an aero bike. It's 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 fairly integrated. But comfort, uh, you know, on any road bike can be as simple as just the contact points. You know, a saddle that fits and suits your you know, particular dimensions goes a long way. So in normal circumstances, I'd recommend a saddle fit. Um, that's a bit difficult at the minute. So, you know, home measure your sit bones so that then you can choose the type of saddle, the, the width of saddle that you actually need. You know, if you look on Bike Radar, we do have a feature on there called how to choose the best saddle. And in that, there is a simple way on how to measure your sit bones at home. It just involves some corrugated cardboard and seeing as we're having lots of stuff delivered 
nowadays um there's a lot of cardboard going spare so you should be able to at least work out to get the correct saddle for you i'd also say quality bar tech goes a hell of a long way into into improving how this a comfort is as does cleat setup tire choice obviously you know if you go for a, a, a larger volume tire with a bit more comfort you know a bit more compliance in it that's going to add some comfort um you'd be surprised at how a bike can be transformed transformed just with quality tires do you think um, um the with that propel do you know roughly how wide one might be able to go is it a 25 28 i think on the i think on the 2018 i think it was rated up to a 28 okay but it was a it was a close close fit on the 28 yeah. and it all depends on rim width obviously um uh, without knowing you know which particular model of propel don't really know which wheels are on it but then you know comfort issues can also be very much down to the right position and, and, and effectively your bike fit um and of course again it's going to be really difficult to get a professional bike fit to work out your your optimum position you know regarding all-round performance you know rather than just aero on an aero bike you know comfort is also just a major factor though if your discomfort comes from say you know your lower back or your shoulders that that could mean you're just a little bit stretched out on the bike so i'd try experimenting with moving the saddle on its rails if you know if you can get hold of a, of a shorter stem try that you know um just just experiment uh, even you know moving spaces to rise you know raise the bars up a little bit anything that would just reduce that that distance but you know weirdly conversely also having too short a position can can give you the same sort of shoulder issues and pains because you're just too cramped mm -hmm. um uh, so it could be a case of, of shortening i mean again it's just it's, it's a lot of elements that you've just got to keep trying to see what your um you know what seems to work for you it's all about just experimenting without having access to a professional bike fit at the minute where you can just just discuss with a fitter about what exactly you're looking for mm -hmm. um, and they can work out through a you know through a through a process of of measuring checking trying uh, and obviously conversation you can just work it all out um you know other pressures that you can you can you can find from an ill-fitting bike is if your saddle is too low you'll get knee pain if your saddle's too high then your hips are going to be swinging which puts excess pressure on your core which can lead to lower back pain you know um again head to bike radar we've got loads and loads of features on there about getting your right saddle height you know that's a really good place to start once you know that that dimension's spot on mm -hmm. then you can start experimenting with everything else wicked cool so yeah a little uh, a little troll around bike radar find some reviews find some guides and uh, hopefully that'll sort you out a little bit um, Rob, uh, so obviously someone new to mountain biking has got a decent bike, uh, but they want to know what essentials they need in terms of kit. As in, uh, do they need to spend loads on specific shoes? Do they need body armour? Uh, what sort of things should they be looking to spend a bit of cash on? Um, okay, so I would say, um, first and foremost, helmet. Yeah. Um, if they don't have a helmet already, go and buy one um, because you know that you can't put a price on safety with regards to your head um, so I would get out there and get one that has all the right ratings but yeah I would go out and try and get one which has a good mix of um, safety features so stuff like uh, if you can afford it MIPS mm -hmm. which nowadays most helmets most trail helmets uh, will come with it, even, um, you know, below £100. Bell offer one, Gyro offer one. Um, 
believe some of the Scott helmets have it in under £100 as well. Again, a case of looking at um, the number of vents, internal channeling, exhaust ports, stuff like that. And you also want to get the fit right, which is where it gets really subjective, obviously, mm. because everyone's head is a different shape. So uh, unfortunately, that it is a case of trying before you're buying in most instances. Um, you know, when we do review them, we do try to point out, um, we, we will always say, you know, what our head shape is to try and get give at least some kind of idea as to, you know, how those helmets fit us. You can't really beat actually going into a shop and trying one on. Obviously, right now, that's going to be kind of tricky. Um, but I, I guess as lockdown and restrictions ease, it should be more feasible. And then there's little things like, you know, you want to be able to have a retention cradle that hugs your head nicely, is easy to attack, you know, easy to adjust with one hand. Uh, a peak that moves is always good, you know, some kind of adjustment on there, um, as long as it's not too flop. And a decent amount of padding. You want to get the right amount of padding whereby it doesn't feel too thick and hot, but equally it's not so thin that it can't absorb any sweat. Um, and yeah, it, it might sound like a big investment, but I would say spending in the region of 80 to 100 pounds would be, um, you know, a, a good bet. That would be probably my first port, port of call. Um, and next, if they're on flat pedals, for example, I think um, assuming that they've got decent pedals, uh, you, you can't beat a decent pair of flat pedal shoes that are, you know, designed specifically for riding in flat pedals. Well, I know mm -hmm. a lot of people will just go out and, and stick a pair of, you know, skate shoes or running shoes on, whatever might, they might have. Um, the, the performance benefits of a dedicated flat pedal shoe um, are, are huge. You know, um, not only do you get much better grip, there's less flex through the sole. So, you know, a typical skate shoe or running shoe is designed for, you know, walking around, running, whatever it might be. Whereas these shoes are typically a bit stiffer and therefore you're going to lose less power and less energy when you're pedaling. Uh, and they'll also generally have uh, more protection. So especially around the, the toe and over the top of the toe, then around the side of the ankles where you're likely to get a knock from the crank. And then when it comes to body armor and stuff like that, it depends kind of what this person's looking to do. Getting some form of knee and elbow pads is a huge, huge um, must, I would say. Um, if it's just they're looking to just do, you know, cross-country miles and stuff like that, then maybe they, they don't need to worry. But if they are, you know, a bit nervous or looking to up their own confidence when they're out and about at the trail centres, then I would say knee pads at a minimum um, and elbow pads aside from that. And, and I would go maybe for slimmer versions, like I already said, so they're a little bit lighter, a bit more breathable, and um, they also mean that they're comfier to pedal in. Um, especially if you're going out for a long day in the hills. So I would say um, look at Fox, who have done body armour and all that sort of stuff for years, same as Trolley Designs, and then there's some good ones from Endura. And then the lesser-known brands like G-Form have some decent knee pads and elbow pads for about 45, 50 quid. So shouldn't break the bank, and they will last as well. But shoes, a decent pair of shoes should only cost you about um i don't know 70 quid just under maybe you can get some shimano i think they're the gr5s for around about 65 quid 
Um, obviously, if you look online, you might be able to find a good deal on five tens. And when it comes to grip on the pedal, I don't really think the five ten stealth rubber can be beat. So that would be my go-to. Wicked. And then I guess yeah, on top of all that, just a pair of gloves to to protect the hands as well. From personal preference, I tend to avoid the ones where um, they're bulkier and have you know gel padding and stuff like that. But it might be that um, that works really well for you. I think um, gel padding and can can um, I don't know interfere with the feel of the bars and and take away some of the feedback and the and the connection with the bike. So that's why I avoid it. And lovely stuff. Okay, then um, we'll jump back to Warren. Um, I have a Vision crankset. So that's that's an FSA um, sort of. Yeah, Vision's like the more time trial and triathlon focused arm of FSA. Okay, so um, yeah. uh, this person's got a Vision crankset. What crank power meter uh, can they install? Um, it's a, that's a, it's an interesting one because as it's as it's you know it's based on a uh, it's come from FSA, um, but without knowing what the what the bottom bracket standard is, you could, if it's compatible, use something like Stages um, Gen 3 crank arm because they make one of those which fits um, various different brands like Raceface and FSA BB386 Evo. Um, and so it's generic. It, it, it's, not, um, it's not branded. like So it's not like you'd be putting a Shimano left-hand crank, crank arm on a Vision chain set, which would look mm-hmm. odd. So that looks a little bit more generic. So that might work providing... Your vision chainset is the same BB standard, um, but then there's also like both stages and for III. Well, I don't know how you would actually pronounce it. I've only ever seen it written. Um, they both offer factory fit power meters. So effectively, you send your cranks to them. They 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 mill out the crank arms, both sides, and they fit you. You know they fit a power meter to it. So that's that's another okay. option. Um, you know it's professionally fitted. It comes complete with, you know, all the relevant warranties, etc. Um, but then I would say, you know, the other option would be to go with a pedal-based mm. power meter. Um, you know, we've had really, really good experiences with Garmin's Vector 3, the latest, mo- you know, the latest model that's out there now. But there's a rumour mill spinning around at the minute there's a possible, possible version 4 on the horizon. As soon as that arrives, then you're going to find a lot of bargains around from all the old early adopters looking to upgrade. You know, there'll be a lot of, you know, used but good quality Vector 3s knocking around. And then you've also got Look and PowerTap both offer... You know, power power measuring pedals. Um, I haven't got as much experience with with those because I haven't tried out the latest the latest options on either. Um, but in the past, you know, the power the power tap ones were really reliable, mm-hmm. um, and the original looks took a lot of setup, but they were accurate once they were set up. Okay. Although that was quite fraught experience, but the the latest model is very different. Um, you know, it, it. So if it was if it was my money, I'd probably look to either get that that stages. Um, Gen three, um, or, or pedals, because the, the beauty of pedals is they're transferable to any bike, and, and I, especially especially with like the Vector three, which is all self contained within the pedal. There's no additional bits and bobs to bolt onto your bike anyway. And I guess with pedals, is you also get left right balance a lot easier than with a single sided crank arm, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, it, it's it, there's not a software routine that's trying to work it out. It's an actual measure. Mm-hmm. So okay, so maybe maybe go for the for the pedals if you if you feel that uh, that's going to work for you. I guess. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, this one. Um, oh, it's a bit of a 
kind of a gravelly commuter question actually. Um, I'm looking to buy a new bike on the Cycle to Work scheme and have my eyes on a gravel bike. It's the cheapest specialised diverge. Um, I want to use the bike for my commute to work, uh, commute to work, which is 10 miles on the road, but I also want to get a bit of gravel action at the weekend. My question is, can I just leave the stop tyres on for everything, or will they make me suffer too much on my daily commute? So I'll open that up to either of you, I guess. Um, I mean, depending on the tyre, I, I, I think on the cheaper diverges, it's one of the... Uh, I think it's like a wire bead version of their their sawtooth, which is effectively like a cut slick. You know, it's it's a it's a really good tire. I use a, I use them on um, on my old Cannondale slate. Um, it, it's a it's a great gravel tire in dry dusty conditions. Um, got awful in the mud, mm. but um, but it also rolls really really quick on the road. So. Providing it comes with one of their more cut slick slons rather than a full on knobbly, I'd say yeah, you could use it for pretty much anything. Yeah. Um, and that kind of low end, well, not low end, the sort of um, more affordable end of the gravel market at the minute is really buoyant. There's some there's some fabulous bikes out there. I mean, recently I've been doing um, riding around on on Marin's Nicosia Plus, which is a 650B steel bike. It's it's under 900 pounds. Um, so it's got a bit of a kind of mishmash build on it, but it's got big fat 650B slicks on it, a really nice compliant steel frame. And to be honest, I've been having so much fun on that bike. It, it's it's the equal of, you know, gravel bikes up to two, you know, two, two and a half right. grand. It just feels so sorted. The geometry is fantastic. The ride's wonderful and it is so cheap. Yeah. You know, it's it's just, um, so there are real bargains to be had out there. That said though, you know, the Diverge is a, is a really nicely, shaped bike that works really really well mm-hmm. so it should work for a bit of commuting and a bit of gravel at the weekend yeah. oh easily yeah 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 rob have you are you riding a diverge rob i've got a diverge yeah one of the older ones and i have i have those tires on and i use it to ride to work all the time well i did when we used to ride to work <laughs> um you know back in the pre-corona days <laughs> um and you know what it, it's totally fun yeah it's it's maybe not you know uh, the the tires maybe don't feel like they roll as quick um, as the uh, oh, what have I got? It, I've got yeah. the Pirellis on my my road bike, which are only twenty eight mil. But um, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't it doesn't bother me. It seems to go really well. Um, like was said, in you know really you know damp muddy conditions, those tires aren't amazing, but they're not terrible either. As long as you you know you're smart enough picking your line, get something. If it's wet enough, you can get through to the stone. And I've had a I've had a blast. I've rode it all winter with those tires, didn't change them, um, and and gone really well. And I still do loads of road miles on those tires. Okay, so yeah, yeah. Uh, I think maybe don't shy away from it in that case and um, spend your money on something else. But I would say get them set tubeless. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. Although you know you're. Um... Providing the bike's compatible and the rim's compatible with it, your your bike shop should be able to do that for you. Most yes. of the reason that, that, especially on the road, the brands don't ship the bikes set up tubeless is because they'll tell you about the mess. But but a good bike shop should should set them up tubeless for you at, at point of purchase, really. Happy days. 
Okay, we'll have um, we'll have a, a couple of quick fiery ones um, just before we sort of wrap it all up. But um, uh, so a mountain bike question. I've been out mountain biking for fifteen years, so not having done it for a little while. Um, but noticing that everyone's out there with dropper posts and people mentioning should they get a dropper post. Um, the guy with the question obviously understands the concept, but are they as essential as everyone keeps telling me they are? Rob, would you ride a mountain bike without a dropper if it was a trail bike? Uh, I wouldn't want to, no. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> Simple as that. I think um, I think they've come a long way. You know, uh, God, when when did we start using them? I think I had one. I think I had one of the Gravit droppers mm. back in. Oh six. Mm, I think I got the I got my first one in two thousand and eight. Okay. Two thousand and seven, two thousand eight. Yeah, two thousand eight. I think it was, mm-hmm. and it was a funny one because it was. You know, I was testing it, and I um, and the sizings were limited, and all this stuff. But once you start to get used to it, you, you realise what it kind of opens up in terms of, you know, flow on the trail, not having to stop and put your saddle down. Mm. Or equally, if your saddle's down, I remember you know grunting along with just leaving my saddle down because I couldn't be bothered to stop and you know lift it back up. So just suffering for a few minutes, right into the start of the next downhill. Yeah. Whereas. As soon as yeah, as soon as you get used to how good they are, you just don't want to ride a bike without one. And we're at a point now where uh, brands like Brand X, um, they're now doing. I think it's a two hundred mil drop. Mm. So they do everything from I think it's a hundred, one twenty five, one fifty, you know, two hundred, um, and it will cost you about. It'll be less than one hundred and fifty quid. I think it's about one hundred and twenty five quid. So. They won't break the bank anymore. It's just not like when, you know, the Revo came out in 2011 um, and it was through a hundred quid. Um, things are, are way more affordable, um, thankfully. So, yeah, not maybe the cheapest investment, um, but certainly worth it. And, yeah, definitely for, for the trail flow and then the fact that, you know, if you get one that has plenty of drop on it so you're not compromising on um how low the saddle can get out the way but equally you can still run it at full height to get maximum pedal efficiency the amount of confidence it can give you being able to lower your center of gravity on the bike for descending um cornering all of those things the yeah the the benefits are huge And on a related note, Warren, gravel bikes seem to be coming with droppers these days. I'm personally, I'm not. Um, I ride quite a bit of gravel. Never once thought I want to have a dropper post on there. But have you got a different take on that? Do you think it's? Uh, yeah, yeah, I have completely. But but that's um, that's probably more to do with the fact that um, I don't have a mountain bike anymore, <laughs> or I do, but they're 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 antiques, um, and so I don't use them. So I think because you're a you know, a mountain biker at heart, mm-hmm. you'll go and ride mountain bike trails on a mountain bike. Whereas I use my gravel bike for absolutely everything. I'll ride single track, I'll ride trails and everything on it. And just as it's, a, a, you know, it's almost an essential on a mountain bike, I'd say on a gravel bike, it's even more so. Interesting. Because like, if you're descending fast and you're down in the drops, to, you know, to exploit the, you know, the, the better braking, um, having your, your backside up in the air roadie style is absolutely not where you want to be we you know when you're when you're hitting like a you know a 70 degree slope it, it 
it, you know, you put your sticker dropper on there so you can drop it and get it out of the way. And you'll just thank God for that because, you know, if I was riding this with my saddle at its normal height, I'd be spending more time at a proctologist rather than <laughs> riding my bike. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Well, maybe we'll have a, a chat after this about um, compatible drop posts on my gravel bike and I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll give it a go. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, quick one. Can you convert a uh, in inverted commas, regular disc brake bike to have fully internal cable routing? Uh, if so, what would you need to do? Do you stem, handlebar, fork? I, I think this is a road question. Um, looking at sort yeah. of fully integrated cable routing and all that sort of stuff. Um, I have seen people drill holes in their metal frames, but that I don't think we can really um, advise doing that. No, absolutely not. I mean, it is a really tricky question. Um and usually my short answer be if the bike wasn't designed to be fully integrated, mm-hmm. then then no. <laughs> um, but more recently, you've got you know bikes like um, the the lower end Cannondale Super Six Evo or Trex um, entry level Madone. Well, not entry level; it's still you know three grand. Um, but you can integrate them to the you can upgrade those to the integrated premium handlebar, which fully integrates all the cables, so, you know hoses and your cables. Um, and also Vision, who we talked about earlier, Vision Components, they launched a cockpit called the, the Metron ACR, mm-hmm. which is their own sort of patented design, which fully integrates the cables. It routes everything down through your steerer um, to you know take advantage of that without having a, a, a frame that's specifically designed for it. It's a it's a kind of a it's a patented thing, effectively. Um, They've just done some clever, clever working with that. Although that does rely on your fork having an open crown, so you can route the cable, yeah, the hose out through that, and also that relies on you having enough tire clearance so that you're not rubbing the cable. So it's one of those, and that ACR system isn't cheap. You know, it's five hundred and fifty quid, six hundred dollars, six hundred and fifty euros. Um, and so I couldn't definitively say whether it could be done to that, you know, your bike without seeing it. it it's just one of those things. Um, but my first impression would be uh, probably not. Okay. Maybe, maybe they should just um, invest in some access SRAM gears, wireless gears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> no, go, go wireless and then, yeah, and then you ain't got to worry about the cables. But other than the yeah. brakes. But we haven't got um, electronic <laughs> brakes, brakes, wireless yeah. brakes. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, a last one for you, Rob. Um, let's quickly run through this so uh, on a full suspension bike when hammering down gravel roads comprising of crushed granite and um, the rear tire pressure and tire rebound uh, interfering with the shocks ability to absorb the terrain and maintain speed uh, so this person saying tested my bmc speed fox head-to-head with a canyon hardtail uh, and it just left me standing what what do you think is going on here rob um so, at a guess, uh, it could be that he's got too much pressure in his rear tyre. Mm-hmm. And so, rather than absorbing the, it sounds like, sort of chattery uh, terrain, mm-hmm. it's just deflecting. And what you want is you want, you know, enough compliance in your in your tyres especially. Uh, they, they're the, that's the bit of kit that you're looking to absorb the, the smaller, you know, that initial touch. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone always talks about suspension being, you know, great at small bump sensitivity and stuff like that. But if your tyres aren't working as they should, then it, it's almost irrelevant. You know, your, your tyres are your first point of contact, so you need those to absorb all that chatter even before your fork starts moving almost. So especially, especially you know, with the terrain at this 
this guy's sort of describing here. So I'd say uh, potentially buy yourself a pressure gauge so you can accurately measure what you've got in your rear tyre and then start um, dropping one or maybe two PSI at a time, working your way down until either you get to a point where you either feel like it's the back end, you know, there's, there's more control or maybe that um, you actually feel like you're going faster. Again, it's uh, it's a hard one to sort of really comment on without knowing all the ins and outs. Mm. Um, equally, uh, the line in there about uh, interfering with his the shock's ability to absorb terrain. Uh, I had to think about it, and I'm wondering maybe whether there's a little too much rebound damping on the shock. Okay, and so if if for example that that shock's trying to move really fast, if the if it's sort of really high frequency bumps, um, and there's too much rebound damping on the shock, it just means that the shock can't extend quickly enough between each compression, mm-hmm. and so it we we call it you know packing down. So it's it's just it can start to feel really harsh because it's not doing the job. The shock isn't doing the job that it's designed to do. It should be extending between those compressions in order to absorb each one. Um, and so if it is just sitting into that, it, it's, you know, sitting in after that first hit and then not really moving back and forth as it should because it's, it's too slow when it comes to rebounding back to full extension, it might be that that's causing some of that harshness. And maybe that coupled with that rear tyre being too hard might be deflecting so much through the frame that it's it's having a stifling effect as he's descending, which means he might not be... Um, the bike isn't doing the job it needs to do and absorb the chatter and those bumps as effectively and efficiently as they should do. Um, and that, I mean, that, that could be it. It's a, it's a tricky one for sure to yeah. know exactly. And, you know, unless you see these things in, uh, in, in real life, but that would be my initial guess for okay. a start. So basically have a look at your tire pressures, make sure that it's not pinging off everything. And then, um, get the suspension set up right. You know, there's some really good guides online. I know Seb's done an, an excellent video on Bike Radar's YouTube channel on how to set up suspension in, in like five minutes or 10 minutes or something. And it's it really does work. So it's worth spending a bit of time just getting it right so that the bike's kind of nicely balanced, set up proper um, and performing as well as it should. Because realistically, a full sus or, you know, a Speed Fox is probably going to be a bit faster than a, a hardtail down, like a rough, you know, rocky descent. Really, I mean, I mean, it could be, uh, it it could be. I mean, that's the thing. I guess we we haven't even talked about tire compound mm. because it could be that the the hardtail has a firmer, faster rolling um, tire compound with the lower tread, which has lower rolling resistance. Versus on his uh, BMC, it might be that he actually has a tackier tire, so. Um, a softer compound tire that has more grip and could be in fact um, actually way slower when it comes to rolling and that could be also you know part of it, it it's a hard one you know we, it's kind of like when we're out testing you know unless you can try and keep all those um, all those sort of parameters as equal and as close as possible it's really hard to pinpoint certain factors so you might have to do a bit of head scratching on that and uh, get experimenting. Wicked. 
Okay, well, um, I think we'll wrap it up there. But thank you very much, uh, Warren and, and, and Rob, for your uh, expert inputs into all our questions. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> um, we'll we'll be doing another one of these Q and A's in four weeks' time. So um, keep an eye out on Bike Radar's social channels for you know if you've got a question, um, pop them in the comments down below on on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and yeah, thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to it if you haven't already, uh, and share it with your friends if you think they might find it useful as well. But yeah, uh, bye for now, Warren, and bye for now, Rob. Cheers. Cheers. See you soon. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bye.